Hey, TABC family, welcome back to the podcast. We're glad to have you with us as we seek to go deeper into Sunday's teaching and ask the questions that will help us live out God's word in our daily lives. That's why we do this podcast, to equip the followers of Jesus here at 12th to grow in obedience and affection for him every day. Our hope is that at 12th, we would be a biblical community of kingdom people who are joining God in the restoration of all things, one person, one place at a time. And our desire is that our time together today equips you to do just that. Thanks for being with us. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody, it is Garen and Jordan talking about Garen's message on November 19th, discussing Nehemiah 10. And Garen, you uh, you just really went after some kind of kind of touchy things I felt here. Yeah, you right. really went for it. Yeah, I should have just skipped the chapter and said it's just a bunch of names. Let's move on. Isn't that what Christians do? Don't we just skip the hard yeah, stuff you, and go yep. to the easier? You skip the hard stuff. Man, you should have just... done that here. <laughs> no, you did a great job, and this was well said and so full of truth, but still said you know with some like the Bible would say with some sweetness to it that we could still connect with it. So grateful you didn't skip it. Grateful you stepped right into it. And uh, should we just jump right into Yeah, let's just jump right into what it is. Or yeah. should we, do you want to talk, do you want to gloat first? Gloat about, oh, last night, four in a row? Four in a row. Uh, the Broncos. Yeah, they- Out of nowhere. Yeah, can you believe that? Like totally out of nowhere. Man. Still don't know what to think about it. They're kind of ugly wins. They're doing a Pittsburgh Steeler kind of thing right now, so- We'll see. I don't know. You know, by the numbers, Russell Wilson, I think, don't email me about this. I think Russell Wilson statistically is having a better year than Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, he. I knew he, he's been at the top of the league with percent, completion percentage, a lot of stuff. And yeah, it that wouldn't surprise me. So I still don't know what to think about all of it, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Do I, you see yourself ever sporting a Wilson jersey? Is he ever going to rise to that level for you? You know, I, I've always liked Wilson. If uh, yeah, if they end up making the playoffs, I, I may I may have to go for one. Man, if they make the playoffs this year after that start, that's know, pretty heroic. Especially after the seventy that they allowed against uh, oh man Miami. So and Russ is a Jesus follower. So. Yeah, and he he gave that's basically good, your tithe. He gave, he gave kudos. Yeah, that's right. If you buy a if Russell I yeah, if I get that, that's yeah. my tithes for the year. That's how expensive <laughs> those things are. <laughs> That's pretty great. Okay, let's jump into things that matter. So Nehemiah 10, you you kind of started us off reminding us how Nehemiah 9 ended because we're in this big story here. And Nehemiah ends with the people agreeing to a binding agreement. Yeah. They sign their, sign their names on the dotted line and they yeah. say, we will do these things because yeah. we are fervent in our in our love for God. We're coming back to him. And right? calling curses on themselves as they don't break it. I mean, it's pretty yeah, intense. Yeah, they really laid it all out yeah. there. Tough for them, chapter 13. But anyways, <laughs> people are going to be, people are, are going to pause this and go, I'm going to go read that. What is going on up there? So for the moment, they are fervent in this and they are really locked in on it. So then Nehemiah 10 is really uh, the demonstration of all this, like laying out these things that are so important and these commands of here's how we're going to stay yeah. locked into this commitment with the father, right? And so, stuff that the nation had just utterly failed at before the exile, mm. big ones that really stood out. And that's why they emphasize these so much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he says, we're going to get back to it. So here's, we're going to redraw the lines a little bit. You guys have forgotten about these things and how to do them well. So let's lay them out really clearly. 
And they were three things. It was marital oneness within Yes, soul Israel, oneness and marriage. Right? Yep. Um, it was honoring the Sabbath. Yep. And it was generosity and giving. Yeah. And so that's what you brought to us to 12th. So um, this is your last chance if you feel convicted in those things to log off the podcast because there's some truth coming your way. Yeah. So <laughs> no, you did such a good job with this. I was, I was, I missed Sunday, but I was excited to go back and listen and just love the way you presented it. So, okay, let's jump in with marital oneness. This is so much more deep and so much more important than I ever thought. On the surface, it's just like your parents tell you, hey, you better marry a yeah, Christian. Yeah, just marry a Christian. That's right. all you ever hear, right? And you think it's like, oh, so I stay out of trouble or so they're a good person yeah, or right. whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but when you look into why God commands this, man, it's like way deeper than oh, that. Oh, yeah. It's deep. It's profound. And to me, when I came to this realization, it makes absolute sense. Because um, I can even talk to a non-Christian about this and I can say, I'm going to give you the same advice I'd give a Christian. Yeah. Marry somebody that you have oneness with. If you if you marry somebody who's who is committed to their faith and is different than yours, I'm telling you, you're not, that's not gonna be a good marriage. Yeah. Um, or in finance or just whatever. So it it applies across the board, but especially if you have Jesus at the center of your life, it really applies there. And you kind of mentioned, and I think I've we've all maybe heard this pushback before. When you don't read it with context, this command sounds a little bit prejudiced. Yeah. It sounds right. a little bit ethnically based. Yes. Like, hey, don't marry the parasites, the Girgashites, the mosquito bites, none of these people. And it sounds very ethnic based. Like we want to keep a pure ethnic bloodline. And right. you're kind of like, whoa, that doesn't strike me quite right. But when you go deeper, like you said, and you go back into these commands that God has given, you realize it's not ethnically based. And then you mentioned, um, was it? Is Ruth, Ruth, right? Uh-huh. Who's brought in and she's not an Israelite. Yep. So there are exceptions made. It's not ethnically based, but what does not change is that what actually honors God is when the spiritual oneness happens yes. because they're both running towards God. Yep. Right. And so that's what he's after here. I really love how you brought Deuteronomy six into it, right? Our God is one. And it's this Hebrew word. Is it Ihad? Ihad. You got a little. Yeah. With that thing little, going. Yeah. Yeah. So our God is one, Ichad, and then Genesis 2.24, then the two united into one, Ichad, right? Yep. So it is this perfect picture, this perfect reflection of the triunity of God. Yes. And when you realize that that's what God's after, you're like, okay, I see why he commands it. Yeah. And I am excited to live that out. It goes beyond just like, oh, date somebody who goes to church. Right. I mean, there's something really deep and ancient and profound that we're getting to take part in here. Yeah. And it's missional. Because we, like you said, we are reflecting that ichad, that oneness. Um, it, it, it's God reflecting to us, but then we're reflecting it to the world. Yes. And it's so like people can see, see that. Yep. A lived out reality of what the Trinity is actually like. Yep. That's very true. Yeah. Very much what it's about. So. And then you, you kind of mentioned a few ways that we see this play out, right? Like two oxen who are plowing a field together, right? They've got to be yoked. Um, two people who are holding hands. Uh, they can't go to different places. They're yeah. going to the same place because yep. they're holding hands, right? Um, even in, in an orchestra that everyone is on beat, playing the same piece of music together in unity and harmony. And if anybody is out, it's not going to work. Yeah. And, that, and that marriage is just another picture of this. Yes, right. It's the next step in, in, in this illustration, right? That we've got to be united in it or it's just, it's going to fail because we're going different places, right? So it goes much deeper than just marry them because they're a Christian, don't date non-Christians. Because you grew up with that strict background. You know what that's like. Yeah, when I became a believer, you're you're kind of hitting that right away. And just, 
and you know, I didn't know the Bible super well, so I just kind of believed it. But there was also a sense, like I always was like, well, why? And I wanted to know deeper things and just do this or don't do that. And I feel like what I heard growing up in youth group and stuff was kind of that more superficial, just don't, you know, marry, just marry Christian. Why? Well, just do it. Listen to me or something. Right. And I think young people need to know deeper whys, don't they? They need to catch a vision of the beauty of something. And the, I think everybody can have that vision of like the beauty of oneness and marriage. That captures my heart, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I want. I want a marriage that's full of oneness in everything, totality. Yeah. And and that makes sense to me. And I'm like, okay, that makes total sense. So I need to take notes from you because normally that's what I just say in youth group. I just say, <laughs> I said so, so do it. So I'd have a lot more luck if I did it the way you said it. So let me write that down. Okay. Then. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's that idea of casting, trying to cast a picture of the beauty of what can be instead of saying no to what shouldn't be kind right. of, you cast a vision for the beauty of something greater that can be. And yeah. that's what I find is if you throw the the greater vision to people, if that can catch their heart, yeah. then they're, they'll you'll have buy-in to it, right? Exactly. Cast a vision and call people to something. Yes. That's really attractive. Yeah. Right. And who doesn't want in their heart to have oneness with when they think of their future marriage partner? Like, that's what I want. I want to have that. Because if faith was just that, if it was just don't do this, don't do this, you can't do this, that'd be such a drag. But the further you get into your faith, you realize that we don't do these things so that we are free to do these things, which is a new way to be human. And it's so much more fulfilling. Yep. And it's the same thing here. So don't judge it on its cover. Don't just skim through it. Understand the context and what God's really asking here. And you'll want to live in to his desires and you'll realize it's much better than yeah, the alternative. That his design is the the way it was created to be and it is the good way to have it. And the thing, I didn't even get to address it yesterday, but all of us are in marriage and there are times we don't have oneness in things. And so I think for all of us that are married, even for to ask the question, how am I doing in the oneness with my spouse? Yeah. And if there is an area we're feeling disharmony, it's easy to maybe not talk about it, but yeah. I want to challenge all of us to, to press into that. And because that's how I think Satan tries to attack marriage is he wants to get at oneness and he'll right. go at a particular area. And if he can get you guys divided on an area, yeah. then he can create disharmony in the marriage. And that's what he wants. Cause then it's not reflecting True. the Trinity. Well, so this isn't just for singles. Actually, I didn't have time to say it, but for all of us, even who are married to ask, how am I doing with oneness right now? Yeah. And not to make this all about marriage. I know we need to move on to the next thing, but early on when Kate and I were married, we both recognized there was disunity with the oneness, like we weren't in step, but because of our upbringings, we both had different ideas about how to solve the disunity. And even in, even in our um, like fixing of the disunity, we needed unity. Yeah, right. And so yeah. there's just a lot of growth that happens yeah. in that and it's hard work, but it's really good. And then when you finally do feel the fruit of that unity and you click, it's like, okay, this is what God designed yeah. and it, it's yep. really good right? and we want it. So yeah. it's worth it. It's worth it in the end. It is worth it. Last thing I might say on this is, you know, society has a different bar than this. Society doesn't say what you've been saying, Garen, what the Bible has been saying. Society would say, hey, it's about things like sexual chemistry. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. You got to try before you buy. Yes. You got to make sure yep. you click. So don't wait for marriage you know, get it out of the way early and then see if it, if you even work in that way. Right. They say in a, in a partner, look for maybe similar passions. Like she loves baseball as much as you do, or he, you know, enjoys this just like she does. It's like, do our pastimes line up? Or they might say like, um, you know, somebody who is attractive to you, like a a body type or a face that's attractive to you or, or whatever. It's like, these are the things that society is saying, build your oneness on. 
And the issue is that these are all things that are going to fall away. Yeah, they're all, right. They're superficial things and they can't sustain a marriage. And yeah. yeah. So it's much easier to build a foundation on those things. But when you build it on something deeper, like your common passion for Jesus and following him, and that's unchanging in your life, yes. it's going to be something that yep. can last. That's right. So, okay. Let's move on to, uh, to Sabbath. Sabbath. So this was really good too. You brought the Hebrew word. Is that Shabbat? Is that Shabbat. The, uh-huh. Or Shabbat. Yeah. Is it a V? Um, it, it's a, it's a B when you write in English, but it's kind of, it's a more of a V pronunciation. Mm, okay. So Shabbat. And you kind of went through like a few different ways to pronounce this. And even as I listened to this again, I had to pause it and think about it because thinking about Sabbath as rest, you know, I get that. And I've heard that my whole life and maybe we all have, but one of the words you used to describe Shabbat was pause. Pause. Like there's a pause on my life because mm-hmm. my life has a rhythm and I'm doing things. I'm in meetings. We're going to practices, blah, blah. But that word pause really makes sense because if there's a day where we're pausing that stuff, like I, it's clear in my mind what that actually means. Mm. And so I love that you brought mm. that in. So that pause thing, and it actually cool. is convicting. Like, okay, am I really pausing? Cause I can say, oh, this is actually rest for me or this is rest. But like, am I really stopping the rhythm of my life and pausing for a day and doing these things we're going to talk about in a sec? So I loved how you said that. That was great. So if, if maybe go back and listen, if you're somebody who's having trouble understanding what that rest or what that Sabbath really means, because for me, rest is just a word maybe, but that pause word really mm, struck that's me. That's cool. So maybe for somebody else, it, it could Good too. to hear. Um, okay. You talked about what do we do on Sabbath? Yeah, okay. What do we do? It's the Sabbath. We're pausing. We're resting. What are we supposed to do? You give us four things. Stop, rest, delight, worship. Um, you got those from John Mark, Mark Comer, John who Mark is Comer. right so much on rest and is so wise with that. And you just kind of took us through these things. I We don't spend too much time on them, but I love the idea of thinking about rest, not necessarily as leisure, but as engaging in activities that replenish you. And, and I know truly replenish you. And, you kind of yeah. fleshed that out a little bit. Could you do it more for us here? Like what the difference is there? Yeah, I think we all know, because really what our culture is about is leisure. And leisure is just more, you know, watch a lot of TV or catch up on the movies or something. That It tends to be just more sitting on a couch is the idea built baked into our culture. And maybe that's not really restful. Um, and, then I, and I mentioned it yesterday. I think we know that because I've binged things. I've watched through three movies in a row or something. And afterwards, there's just always this feeling of kind of emptiness and like, did I just waste Garen, six hours of my life? You don't or, have to say movies. You can just say Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I can just say it let's and be admit honest, it. It's not six hours. It's, yeah, it's 12. It's, yeah, north of, north of 12. So Yeah, and you're like, other than that, <laughs> other than that binging that, like, you're just like, did I just waste? Or we've all been online and you're just like, I just, I just dropped an hour that was pretty wasteful and did that. I don't feel interiorly like what it means that I'm restored, recreated, yeah. refreshed. I think um, young people would would just be say endless scrolling yeah. on whatever app it is that yeah. you're just scrolling, looking at the next thing. And that's what leisure is. Right. And that rest really isn't leisure. And I've heard you talked recently about rest with the youth. You what, did. You talk into this. What's that mean to you? What's the difference between rest and leisure? Um, I always go back to a quote from Matt Chandler where he says, true rest is asking yourself, what stirs my affection for Jesus? And let me go do that. Mm. And so if it's like a walk through the park, or maybe it's hanging with a friend doing a certain activity, or maybe it's just watching the clouds, or maybe it's writing in your journal or whatever it is that, and it is restful for my soul. And it actually really stirs my affections for Jesus and mm-hmm. gets me thinking on him. 
That is a truly restful activity. Yeah, that's cool. Not watching the Broncos. That's not restful. <laughs> no, especially especially <laughs> this year, right? Or the Jayhawks Lately. for that matter. We yeah. can just, yeah, that was not restful either. I did not rest well on Saturday night because I did that instead. But those things that are just like, they feed our soul and focus yeah. us on Jesus. But I like that definition because if I go out to Prairie Preserve, which is a place I like to go, on my Sabbath, I'm out in nature, I'm in creation, I'm looking at the bison, and my soul is always drawn to him. And like, I mean, this amazing creature you've created. Yeah. And it very much affects my soul in multiple ways. So that makes sense, what Chandler said. Yeah. So. Yep. He's on to something. You said something good, and I know one of your friends gave you this. You were just passing it on, but he said, if you work with your hands, Sabbath with your mind, and vice versa. And you work with your mind a lot. A lot. Yep. So how do you Sabbath with your hands? So it's things like doing some stuff outside or just physical things, walking. Yeah, just getting out, taking a hike. Yeah. Playing with the grandkids. There's a lot of using your hands with that, reading books and wrestling and dancing and all the things they want to do. That's a very physical, like non-mind engaging. Yeah. I mean, you, you love it. I'm not saying you aren't thinking, but just different stuff like that is the things that like I said, if it's not pulling weeds and raking leaves, I like gardening. I just don't like the weeding part of it. Um, yeah. Just stuff like that. So you don't feel good when you weed, Garen. You don't like feel so. You look at all where all the weeds used to be. You don't feel just really accomplished when it's done. Yeah, I feel good when it's done. It's just the process that I hate. That's so. But yeah, see, there is a sense when you finish that, you do feel really good. You're looking at your garden. You're like, that's looking pretty. good. And you good. finished something in yeah. ministry. We never right. finish anything. You got to finish that. Yeah. So it's good. Right. It's good for you. Um, let's see. Yeah. You, you took us through these things. Stop, rest, delight, worship. You talked about how on Sabbath we are, use the word restoried. Uh-huh. So talk about that for a second. Yeah, Cause that's like, kind of a new one for yeah, us. Yeah. And it was a, a, a relatively new idea for me. And cause I've always seen all these rewords with Sabbath, recreated, refreshed, rest, um, restored. And then when I saw this word restoried and I looked into what the guy was talking about, he talked about it is so easy for us to buy into the wrong story of what my life is about, right? Oh, yeah. And that what in the world, and I mean, even us, we're, we're around each other. We can always be telling each other it's more about productivity and what you do and what you have. And yeah. your value comes from what people think about you or this or that. And the Sabbath is a chance for me to dig back down into God and say, Lord, I want to reconnect with you and your story and my part in that. And when I do that, it restories my life. It gets me back in the right perspective. That my value comes in my relationship with him and my soul value, that kind of thing. So it re kind of restories my life. Okay. It counters the narratives I'm hearing all week. Yeah. So you'd say Sabbath is the place where we tear down false narratives and remind ourselves of our true identity. Yeah. Yep. Especially in that worship. That's what that worship does. Cause I'm really f- centering on him, on who he is, on his story. Yeah. And then I'm recentering my life into in that reality. So even like beyond what people actually you know, audibly say to us, man, society just throws false narratives at us all the time. Yep. You're online and you see an ad and it's like, you should be this, or you should uh-huh. desire this, yes. or you see a billboard and it's like, why don't you have this? Uh-huh. And it's like death by a thousand paper cuts. Yeah. And in the moment you can shrug it off, but then in the quiet of your heart, it kind of comes back to you a little bit and you need a day to reset, to pause. Right. Yes. And like, remember the true identity. Remember your true true identity and to restory. That's why that, that really captured my attention. That, that idea. That's so good. I'd never thought of that before. That was really useful. I'm glad you said that. Okay. Last one, generosity and giving. Something that people love talking about giving their tithe. 
Yes. Favorite because topic. People preach about it all the time. So yeah. that's how we know that they know. This isn't one we talk about a lot, but it is so important. Mm-hmm. And you uh, brought a very biblical perspective to it. You, you give us the, the overview of everything, of the history of Israel and why God asked this and what it's looked like over the years. And you did a great job with it. Um, so I, I think what I want to start with is maybe this question, Garen, which is the question maybe most people are asking as they sit in our seats every week, is why give to the local church? If I'm going to give my money somewhere, why not give it to Salvation Army? Why not give it to this thing I saw online? Why not give it to whatever? Like, why does the local church deserve my tithe? Yeah, good question. I think I would say you have the freedom in the Lord to give to other ministries that you believe in and and that the bless and affect you. I think that is a legitimate place to give. But Paul, several places in the scripture, it talks about specifically about the local church, like the people who work to, to, to lead your soul and trust your soul. He says, don't in the old King James, I remember like, don't muzzle the ox. Don't, don't, don't neglect providing for their needs for the people that are, that are engaged in, in trying to create environments for your soul's sake. So in Corinthians and Timothy, he talks about that. And it's just the idea that you help support the work, the local work that you're a part of. And first Corinthians 16 talks about breathing, your bringing your gifts to your local church every week and that kind of thing. So, so I would say it's not just the church. Uh-huh. I think I, God gives me the freedom to the other, but that's part of it and yeah. probably should be a large part of it because that's a large part of where I'm involved right. and what I care about. So, well, and what you said yesterday was that it, the church is God's plan for reaching the nations, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And so if we're to be on mission with him, then it's a good place to start. Yes. So yep. Um, you laid out that 10% of our income is our tithe. That's what God called Israel to do in the Old Testament. That for thousands of years, that's how God's people gave um, to him. And that's kind of a baseline. Would you say that you think 10% is what we should do? Or I've heard both sides of this. Where do you where do you land on that? If people yeah. are asking where to start, is that the number? Is that what God commands, or can I give whatever? Yeah, I've heard both sides of it too, um, and I understand both sides of that. I feel like something I decided a while back is that was that has been the consistent pattern of God's people even after Jesus. And I'm like, I'm gonna. That's the thing I'm still gonna shoot for. It it's that's a good percentage. So that's what we. We decided to make that the goal of what we were doing. So if somebody came up to you and said, Garen, I'm giving, I did the math. I think I'm giving like six or 7%. Am I living in sin? What would you say to them? Yeah, I wouldn't say necessarily that you're living in sin. I think what the main thing it depends on is Paul talks about, we should give generously and sacrificially. Right. To me, that's, those are the bigger markers. Yeah. And there's probably people who are living on 6% who are, who are that other 94% is a lot of money, right? Yeah. And there's people, maybe that's a real struggle and that is for them a sacrifice. So I think, I think God is generous with that. Yeah. I still think, cause I have found this in my own life. We, it was a huge sacrifice for us and moving towards that goal created a level of generosity in me that I desperately needed in my heart. Yeah. And cause I could have stopped at four or five and just said, ah, that's, that's a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. But even pushing more into mm-hmm. that it just, it, it did something in my heart. And that's what giving is all about. God doesn't need the money. He talks about, I have the cattle and thousand hills. It's all mine. Right. It isn't like he's, he's desperately in need for money to make his budget this year. It's all for me and my heart and my growth. And he knows that the more generous I become, yeah. that the more I grow and the, the kind of, I become the kind of person that's healthy and flourishing. Yeah. And 
that that's the purpose of it. So I think that you hit the nail on the head. And I think the question that you would want people walking away from yesterday's church service asking themselves is not what percentage am I giving and is it enough? It's, am I giving joyfully and am I giving mm-hmm. sacrificially? Yep. Am I giving with a happy heart because I'm, I want to give back to yep. God what is rightfully his. And am I giving enough that it actually makes a dent in my monthly numbers? Am I not just bringing yep. what I've got in my pocket that morning and putting in the plate? Yep. Am I right. actually bringing something that, is going to affect my bottom line. And that passage in Paul of 2 Corinthians 8, 7, that excel at this gift of giving, that's a pretty high bar to me. And that's really what I try to live into is, because if you told me, hey, excel at pickleball, what that means is I'm going to give it time. I'm going to work at it. I'm going to move with intentionality towards it. And if he says excel at giving, that means I am with intentionality trying to move to becoming more and more generous because I don't just want to be good at it. I want to excel at it Mm because that's what he says. And early on, it's hard when you're not used to giving. I didn't grow up in a home where giving was what happened, and it was really hard for me. But it truly, it is true. It is true what Jesus says: it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then the more I learn to press towards excelling, the more I find that reality in my own life. Yeah. So, are you trying to get into pickleball? I know you <laughs> used to be a racquetball guy. Have we yeah, made the transition? I still, for all my, all the pickleball guys out there, they've. They've told me I've just played the wrong people because it never gets my heart beating like racquetball used to. I still miss racquetball. Mm. Not, not. I've done pickleball, uh, and people love it. They love it. That's fine. Maybe we need to put a put a PSA out. If you're a, if you're a racquetballer, <laughs> give Garen a call. He needs a good partner. Yeah, I need a partner with that. You gave some stats. Um, I think this is probably just for the American church here on tithing. And you said roughly one in eight evangelicals tithe that the average evangelical gives closer to 2%, not 10%. Yes. Um, which is not in line with what we're talking about. It's not in line. And it's and we live in an extra, a culture with a lot, right? We're not living in the third world or something like that. Even when you struggle. And I mean, we had some tough financial times when we were living on support, but we still had the ability, we pushed into it and we saw God bless us a lot. So we live in abundance, even when you're, things are kind of tight for us. It's, it's great compared to people living a dollar a day. So, yeah. Yeah. I think a question that maybe people wonder, maybe people know this, I don't know, but people maybe wonder, <clears throat> okay, tithing, does Garen tithe? Did the staff tithe? Or are you guys like exempt from that? And we would both say, yeah, that we, that we give. We give generously and joyfully. I think everyone on staff does because it's not just something that is for people out there, but it's for people yeah, it's for all everywhere. And the reason for that is what you said next, right? That when we give, it both demonstrates and reinforces mm-hmm. yes. some really important things yep. in us. It, it, yes. And truthfully, I wouldn't want to miss out on these things because they really do shape my heart and they really do bring me closer to Jesus. And it's about more than just a dollar amount. It's about what it actually does for me and my soul. Yep, that's what it's about. Yes. Ultimately. So I am happy to give and um, in my flesh, I can look at what I give sometimes and say, "Ugh, that could be this or that. But then I'm so quickly reminded, like, just like you said, that our, our heart follows our giving, right? Yeah. And uh, you mentioned these things, right? God's ownership in my life, that God is my priority, that I am trusting and depending on God. That is both demonstrating that is both demonstrated by my giving. It's proven by my giving, mm-hmm. but then it also is reinforced by my giving. Yeah, and it builds it and it makes all of them grow even more. It's like yeah. this self-sustaining cycle. Yes. It's yes. really good. Yep. So, um, yeah, for anybody wondering, do you guys give? Or are you just telling other people this? No, I, I mean, we all do. And 
the reason isn't because it's a financial decision. It's a spiritual decision. Yeah. Right. So. And even, I mean, like, look at the baptism service we had recently. Like, you know, we're all tempted. Oh boy, that money, I could have bought this or that for myself. But like, when I see something like a baptism, I'm like, man, like that is the fruit of the generosity of people. Yeah. Um, that those things happen. So when I see those things, I'm even seeing them through the eyes of this is the things that I'm stewarding for God coming back and bearing fruit. And there's nothing more exciting than seeing lives, souls change, right? So as we wrap up here, Garen, we're about to end. But if somebody was to maybe just be thinking this, if they're like, you know what, I've been coming to church for a while. Um, I don't, I don't really tithe, but 12th seems to be doing pretty well. And I feel close to God. So like, why should I rock the boat? I'm already making a lot of money and I'm already feeling good about my bottom dollar. Like, why should I take this next extra step? Isn't that just something like super Christians do or like how, how necessary is this really for me? Yeah. Your soul and your soul desperately, we've just talked about it. Your soul desperately needs it. You don't, to you just are working and growing and giving. You don't know how much your soul expands. But not only that, it, your relationship with God, I mentioned it briefly, but we give gifts to people we care about and we do it sacrificially, right? There were times we bought things for our children where it was a biting the bullet, but there, it didn't feel like biting the bullet. There was joy in it, in the sacrifice because we cared so much about them. And if you want to grow in your relationship with God, giving has to be a part of it. He has given everything. I said that he gave his best and his only for us. and. It just demands that response back. And you will find that this is one of the things that will grow your relationship with God more than any. Yeah. Is this this being generous back to him and how much it'll grow your own soul. Yeah. So and I think that um I think it's easy maybe for people who aren't familiar with church to say, okay, well, you guys work on staff. So of course you're gonna say that. Give more, give more. I don't know what the perception of church is, but like we can tell you that when people give more, we don't make more money. Yeah. Like, right. it's, it's not like, we're not, it's not like, we're not making more here. It's be, like you mentioned yesterday, we're looking to add a staff person or two. Yeah. There are mm-hmm. upgrades possibly coming on the building side of things. There's always stuff that needs upgraded. Right. More people are coming to 12th all yes. the time. There's more resources that are needed. Yeah. And that money goes back into that stuff. Yeah. It's not like if you give more, Garen makes a little more money this month. It's, it's not the way that it rolls. Yeah. So yeah. it's um, not about, it's not about us, our uh, staff. It's that's not, not about us. And if you want to be body with God's mission here, then giving is the, that's right. the way to do it. Okay. All right. Nehemiah 10, Karen, you tackled some hard stuff, but I think we made it through and it was good. So any, uh, anything to end there? Anything on the cutting room floor you need to say? Um, no, I think we hit all the important things there. They were kind of tough topics. And I'm like, I remember when I'm reading over this chapter, I'm like, you know what? It's where, Nehemiah goes and I've got to go there. And hey, so good for you, Garen. I mean, cause they're not necessarily the funnest things, but they're actually really important. And I was glad to go there, but yeah, they're not. Yeah. People are like, Oh, I want to hear another giving sermon. That's great. <laughs> right. Talk about tithing again. But I'm if excited. you love your people, then you do talk about this stuff because there is incredible blessing. Yeah, in cause it, you right? know, right. Isn't there insane blessing in being um, unified in your marriage spiritually? And isn't there insane blessing in hitting the reset button every week on Sabbath? Yes. And isn't there insane blessing in giving to God? Yes. Like you wouldn't love 12th well if you didn't teach these things. Yeah. Right. And that's that's a good way to end this. I think that's, that is our motivation is we want people to thrive and flourish as God wants us to and obeying his word is the way to do it. And so, yep, we don't, I'm not ashamed to talk about these things. 
because I know what's the best way to live. And yeah. And if God makes these commands of us, isn't he a good God who's calling us to good things? Yeah. He's not going to put us in the fire and leave us there. He's going to mold us and shape us and, and bless us and make us more like himself. So, okay. We could talk more and more about this, but three big topics from Nehemiah 10. Hope they were a challenge. Hope they were a blessing. Hope that you are going to find a new way this week to be even more obedient to these things. I know that I'm challenged in my heart with them. So thanks guys. We'll see you next week for Nehemiah 11.